Welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. This is John Murphy, and it's my pleasure to welcome as our guest for this podcast, Sam Rothstein. Sam is a PhD candidate studying under Dr. Steve Little, who is one of our prior guests on Regenerative Medicine today. And I'd like to welcome Sam to this particular podcast. Sam, welcome. Thank you, John. Glad to be here. So, Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself in terms of your interests, and ultimately we're going to get to a story where you have a vision how you can develop a new commercial enterprise to help with regenerative medicine technologies. But first, a little bit about yourself, please. Sure. I'm a graduate researcher under Stephen Little. I'm now finishing up my PhD, my fifth year of research. I've always had an interest of merging uh, mathematics with biological concepts as an engineer, helping realize new advances that way. And that's been great because working under Steve, I've been able to take a simple mathematical model we designed to predict the performance of biodegradable polymer matrices. That's matrices we use for control release. And take that and apply that to numerous therapeutics and really help make some advances there. So, first of all, I recall you sharing with me that this idea came out of one of your early graduate classes. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. It's actually five years ago, taking a class with Dr. Federspiel, we were required to do a model. I, of course, chose the model of the system I was working on, uh, biodegradable polymer matrices for controlled release. And actually, it ended up being a very powerful model, simple but predictive, so that we can describe systems without conducting prior experiments. And I've taken that model now through two years of development and now working on applications, making a single-injection vaccine, making a new AIDS therapeutic. It's really spread out to be a core component of the research in the lab. So let's talk a little bit about controlled release. Tell us why that's important in terms of some of the initiatives that you and others are pursuing. Controlled release is a great technology for augmenting the use of biologicals, growth factors, cytokines, chemokines, lots of proteins that we use in regenerative medicine. Because these proteins are very hard to deliver, they have short half-lives in the body, they don't last long. By putting them in a biodegradable polymer matrix, we can sustain their delivery after the initial injection. And so this allows us to achieve regenerative growth over time. Being able to understand how these biodegradable polymer matrices work is essential for the successful delivery of these proteins. So my recollection is that the one item that's a controlled release device or product that everybody's familiar with are pet flea collars. That's a correct analogy? Similar, but we take what is a pet flea collar, and we use biodegradable materials to make it into a device that we can inject into the body. So a little less cumbersome than what you give to your dog. Is the injectable material something like nanospheres? Similar. We actually like to use microparticles. We find that actually reducing them down to a nano size lets the body clear them very readily so that they won't persist for the days, weeks, or months that we need to deliver our biologic over. So biodegradable polymer microspheres, typically of lactic and glycolic acid copolymers, because those materials are A, FDA approved, and B, they're absorbed safely in the body into metabolic byproducts. Let's talk a little more about the applications. What are some of the principal applications either being used now in terms of these kinds of delivery systems or what you envision as this technology matures? Sure. Using our mathematical model, we've designed a number of systems now which are in preclinical testing. Great examples I mentioned are a neonatal vaccine where we can give an injection of microparticles at birth, but that those microparticles will wait to deliver the antigen until the individual matures, as per the CDC vaccination schedule. Another example is we're working on an immunotherapeutic to aid in transplant acceptance, where if we inject microparticles along the transplanted organ, we can recruit your body's own regulatory immune cells to the site of transplant to help it accept the organ as its own. A third example going on is in periodontal disease, 
that we can deliver chemokines directly to the gum tissue. They recruit cells to help regenerate the lost bone and lost gum tissue there that occurs with periodontal disease. So are these strategies or therapeutic approaches that you just described to us, are they replacing other strategies or is this a fact a quantum change in how one might approach these particular treatments? Well, the standard use for controlled release technology right now is to reformulate old pharmaceuticals, ones that have their patents that are about to expire, and to give the the drug companies new life for their old drugs. Uh, We've been able to now, with this more precise designs that we can achieve with our model, we've been able to take this technology and use it to create uh, novel regenerative treatments, like the ones I just mentioned. So it's really being able to understand how we're delivering a biologic, being able to deliver proteins at constant rates with FDA-approved materials, has allowed us to make a host of treatments that otherwise people haven't been able to do. A great example, again, is the single-injection vaccines. In the mid-1990s, the World Health Organization and the UN had their childhood vaccine initiative, where they called for two things, genetic immunization and controlled-release vaccines to allow immunization with single injections. After 10 years of funding from the UN and World Health Organization, the program closed up shop because they really weren't able to make these technological gains. But now we've been working with the controlled-release technology using our model as a design tool we may be able to make these formulations much more precisely than researchers have previously been able to do. It really allowed us to make progress again on this front. So let me go back to the, the immunosuppression example that you referred to. I note that there's been some significant progress made of late in terms of organ and limb transplantation here in Pittsburgh with Dr. Lee and some of his colleagues where they actually infuse some of the donor's bone marrow into the recipient. Apparently, they've been able to reduce significantly the number of and the strength of the immunosuppression drugs that the recipient has to take on a daily basis. So can you contrast that approach to the one that you're suggesting? Our approach is, I think, similar. We're not using traditional immunotherapy drugs. We're working actually with Angus Thompson of the Transplant Immunology Center, Sid Jinjinwala, another student in the lab, has really pioneered this effort, taking factors that attract regulatory T-cells, that's T-cells that are responsible for curbing the aggressive immune response and channeling that into a healing immune response. And by encapsulating those growth factors in biodegradable particles that release them at constant rates over a long period of time, or excuse me, encapsulating those chemokines and chemoattractants, they establish a gradient of protein in the body that can attract regulatory T-cells to allosteric sites, that's sites where they're not normally found, such as possibly a transplanted organ. And so in a similar approach to the bone marrow technique you mentioned, we're also sort of tricking the body's own immune system into accepting the organ as its own, not just holding the immune system back like regular immunosuppressants do. These are very exciting possibilities, and many of our listeners, of course, always want to know when might they be available for they or some of their family. I gather that these are still laboratory ideas that haven't been subjected to a FDA review. Is that correct? Correct. These are all in the preclinical stage, working with small animal molecules. But in the coming years, they'll progress to larger animals, and then on to clinically geared studies. So I guess in the order of magnitude, this is a three to five year out possibility. Is that a good presumption? Yeah, I'd go with a three to five year out. So let's talk a little bit more about your model. Why is the model so important in terms of being able to devise these systems as opposed to other approaches? The alternative approach has been to do trial and error experiments. When working with your biologics, it's very expensive, both because you need specialized staff to conduct the experiments 
And the, the cost of materials, recombinant proteins, are also costly, particularly for experimental scale. And a third thing, these experiments offer no guarantee of actually generating the right dosing schedule when all is done. So basically, you can manipulate on a computer all these variables, and when it's time to actually formulate an experimental protocol, you've got it optimized. Is that a fair synopsis of this? Right. So the model relates the tunable matrix properties, the things we can control during the fabrication of our system, to its release behavior. And the trick is solving that problem in reverse, inputting a release behavior, and using that to calculate our design specifications. That allows us to rationally design these biodegradable matrix formulations. So based on your experience to date, any estimate of how much this model shortens the process? I mean, it sounds like it may be 100 to 1 in terms of time frame. That's about right. We normally say it takes about a year to design a formulation to release over several months. You can think about this. If you're doing it a trial and error approach, and I want a formulation that delivers for three months, if I do this in series, I get four tries in a year. Even if I do it in parallel, testing multiple formulations at one time, it's still easily going to take me a year to get doses that's close to the target one. With a mathematical model, I can get the design parameters for that formulation in a matter of hours and produce it in a matter of days. So perhaps that leads to your aspiration or vision. I understand that on graduation that you plan to form a commercial venture to offer these services to whoever may be interested. Is that correct? Yes. Well, we've made great progress with our own preclinical therapeutics using this model. The immunosuppressant, the periodontal disease treatment, there's an HIV treatment we're working on, a single injection vaccine it's played a role in. It's also played a role in now designing osteogenic treatments as well, with sequential delivery of growth factors. It's really branched out into just about all the projects conducted in our lab. It could easily help other researchers who are doing preclinical research with biologics and other molecules that require special delivery to help forward their own research as well. And so I want to spin this out into commercial enterprise that can really offer this service to those researchers on an effective time scale. I recall you saying earlier that you anticipate that the commercial venture will be up and running in about a year. Are there opportunities for other investigators to collaborate with you and Dr. Little in the interim, or do you have a full schedule? Yes, well, they should certainly contact us. We do help researchers all the time make control release formulations. And the technology we need is up and running in our lab right now. So we can certainly help people in the interim. We look forward to it. So, Sam, you mentioned your commercial venture. Do you have a name for this enterprise yet? Yes, yeah, so we're working with the name Chrono Solutions, spelled with a K-N-O-W, because we're dealing with time-release medications. And with our mathematical modeling approach, we're the first company that really knows how these formulations work and can design them to meet uh, researchers' specific needs. Sam, I appreciate you joining us today and sharing the significant progress that you've made in your research. I also want to extend best wishes for your commercial venture that will be coming on board within the next year. And as we conclude this podcast, I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute for Regenerative Medicine that sponsors this podcast series. I'd also like to remind our listeners that we welcome suggestions in terms of areas to address. You can reach us at mail at regenerativemedicinetoday.com. And we look forward to you joining us in two weeks for another interesting interview. Thank you. Thank you.